millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Wood Talk, crafting artisanal sawdust since 2007. Now here are your hosts, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's Wood Talk number 405 for August 7th, 2017. On today's show, we're talking about when to say, when to plane. Wait, well, that's confusing. When to say and when to plane. I don't even understand that. Oh, it's a Y instead of a W, you ding dong. Autocorrect. Okay. (laughs) When to saw and when to plane. (laughs) Nothing but uh, professionalism here. Losing the battle with hickory, tacky finish, material thickness, and stop locks. And here's the thing. This is kind of an email catch-all show. We wanted to crank out as many emails as we could before we go on our little vacation. So uh, I, I guess we could do that reminder right now. We'll be off until September 4th. Uh, we actually are going to do two email extras. So next week we'll have an email extra just as a little piece of content to keep you uh, interested in the show. Let you, you know, remember that we still exist. Uh, but we will be back with a regular schedule starting September 4th. So today's show is going to be very random. Lots more topics than what you see there. We're just going to kind of hit as many as as we possibly can. Uh, and we'd like to thank a sponsor of the show, Bruso Hardware, and we uh, love those guys. Now, they're actually having a pretty good sale here, so during the end of August, Bruso Hardware will be holding a 15% off sale on all orders through their website at bruso.com. The sale will last for one week only from August 14th through August 21st. It's a good time to save and get a head start on some holiday-related projects. The fine print here is sale will last from 12 a.m. Eastern on 8 14 17 until 11:59 p.m. Eastern on 8:21:17. Sales apply only to products sold on bruso.com. Promotion does not apply to phone orders. They don't want to talk to you. <laughs> well, if you know what, there's been times where people have tried to get in touch with us on the phone and they'll email and say, "Hey, what's your phone number? I'd like to, you know, like a customer service issue." And it's like, "New." No. 
No, we don't do phone calls. If it can't be resolved by email, it's not happening. So I uh, totally understand that. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Bruso. Good luck with the sale. And uh, you guys know how this stuff goes. Bruso Hardware is top notch. And if they have a sale, you don't want to sit around and wait. Jump on it. And if you can, stock up. Get some of those hinges for those holiday projects. You will definitely not regret it. Uh, and we have some folks to thank who helped us out on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash woodtalk, you can find all the different reward levels and things that you can get in return for helping us out and supporting the show. I'm going to read this, and if you have children listening, you may want to turn the volume down for just a second. It's not a curse word. It's just not something you want kids to hear, but I'm going to read it. Uh, a person pledged $2 by the name of Miso Horny. Uh, Tony <laughs> Weichel, Weichel, Stephen Clement, Stump... Okay, now this... Uh, turn it down again. Kids, get leave the room. Stumpy, Stumpy McGray balls. <laughs> uh, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy Fitchenbaum, David Schwees, and Chris Simmons. So thank you so much, folks, for helping us out. We really appreciate the support. It means a lot to us, and it helps us keep the show going, encourages us to do a better job and provide better content and to also take three weeks off <laughs> do a better job <laughs> do a better That's job funny. than we currently do <laughs> oh. you give us money we're like well i guess we should probably put some effort into this what do you think yeah we'll we'll warn you to turn down the, the sound from now on <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey, hey i gave him a pretty good heads up right i mean you yeah. can't blame me i mean i give him time to turn that volume knob down if you got the kids listening so All right turn it down as soon as it starts and then we'll let you know when the show's over to turn it back on again. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, okay, so I think we can go to what's on the bench, right? Yeah, I think that's about sure. it. Let's do that. So my chairs are nearly done. I'm almost done talking about this crap. And uh, I think probably today or tomorrow I'll be hitting the upholstery, getting some final pictures of it, and doing all the final editing. It turns out I've got like three or four videos that I wasn't expecting to put out. I thought I would do like one batching out video, but there was just little things like, uh, you know, leveling the legs and let's compare the prototype to uh, the, the final version and just little tiny things like that just were good tips that I had to put into video form. So uh, quite a bit of extra content coming out very late in the game on this one. But uh, yeah, <laughs> tell me, tell me you integrated some sort of musical chairs thing at the end because I haven't yet that's because it's an opportunity, man. They Come don't on. have seats, but you know what I should do? I should get the kids out here and do yeah. a little musical chairs game. Good idea. Thanks. I'm going to steal that. See, except that would you make five chairs? Six. Oops. Five plus to, the prototype. You need to bring some friends over or it's a, it's, although I guess everybody wins that game of musical chairs. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> keep winning. Four of you in six chairs. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the self-esteem version of musical chairs. Yay. Everyone wins. So nice. There's so, no yeah. life lesson in that. Come no, on, kids. Not at all. There's never enough. <laughs> but <laughs> I cannot wait to be now. done with these and get them in the house and uh, have them in use. And uh, I, other than that, I'm just kind of, uh, you know, preparing the house for uh, Cremona presence. I, I'm not sure what that's going to be like. I know he's not a very large, he's not a very large guy, but I think he, he's got a larger than life persona and he's, oh, he's going to take up, you know, mental space that we have to prepare for. <laughs> Make sure you bubble wrap that slab table because you never know. Well, that corner, I mean, he's not really, he's not sturdy on his feet. He could fall in any time. <laughs> so my my plan hey, you though see my tarantula legs <laughs> yeah yeah exactly those are very spindly um but we are having a meetup so the week that he's here next week i believe on friday if you go to the facebook denver makers meetup group or the denver makers group or whatever nicole called it 
uh, we are having our uh, periodic meetup and Matt's going to be there. So I'm going to take him around, show him off and be like, hey, this is my friend Matt. Look at him. <laughs> like that. I brought a friend. I brought a friend <laughs> and uh, I'm going to take him to lumber places and show him off and stuff. It's going to be fun. So if you're do, in- do they have um, do they have alcohol at those events? Oh, yeah. It's at a brewery. <laughs> Weed. Bring bring the lowlander to high altitude and get him drunk. Yes, <laughs> I should only take about five minutes at that altitude. Well, and the other thing is, it'll it'll be a couple of days into it, so he'll be like at the peak of his altitude, like sickness, <laughs> if he's going to have oh, one, <laughs> where he's just really having trouble balancing his system. Uh, but yeah, it's at the Breckenridge Brewery, and uh, they've nice. got great beer there, and uh, should be a good time. So if you're in the area, we'd love to see you come out and hang out and uh, stroke his tarantula legs. He'll like that. It, make, it makes him giggle when you do that. He goes, ah. um, by oh. the way, got to say, right? Best Photoshop ever so far. Yeah. That, that was a good one. So if you haven't really seen it time. on Instagram and Facebook on the Wood Talk um, accounts, we posted a fantastic Photoshop of Cremona, who, who kind of looks like a demented Muppet in that picture, right? <laughs> the way it was. It does. It really looks like a really scary, oddball uh, hybrid of a human and tarantula you just you got to go subscribe to those accounts and look at it. It's fantastic. So I think that like I like we we keep like one upping ourselves somehow. I'm like, there's no way anything could ever be better than this. <laughs> yeah, and then the next thing comes along. <laughs> well, I think oh everybody's upping their game. All the people doing the photoshops for us, and uh, we really appreciate it because it's yeah, that one. That hilarious. one was especially well done, though. It like, was. Yeah. There's no trace of his legs, like going up into the shorts even like mm-hmm. it's really kind of scary to the uh, point where even, i don't think it's photoshopped yeah i think it's legit it's really yeah that's what he looks like he just wears fake legs on his show <laughs> okay so that's it for me uh matt what do you got going on i i don't know if you uh if you knew this but i'm coming to your house what what i had no idea oh, oh man <laughs> yeah i'm getting it i don't know getting, I'm getting the, ready uh, for go ahead I'm getting ready for that that whole thing. I'm being gone for how long? Like, well, it's about I'll a week. I'll be gone for like almost a week, right? Yeah, yep, about that. Like five, six, six days, something like that. So, yeah, six days. Yep. Woo! So I'm like, holy crap! I got a lot of crap to do yeah. before I leave. Like a lot. Is it and like? Is it like a dream vacation? Or are you nervous? <laughs> staying with the spa- staying with the spags for six days. A little bit. <laughs> You should be. You should be. (laughs) While he's sleeping, I'm going to come down and just start petting his head. (laughs) Very creepily. I start to worry. Like, Mark always wanted to start like a prank channel, and I'm going to be like the first one. (laughs) (laughs) This is it. (laughs) He needs more views. (laughs) That's a good idea. Pranking the house guests. Don't get any ideas. I didn't say that. (laughs) You just inspired me. I don't know, man. (laughs) I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think it, it should be. A lot of fun. I, hope I don't so. know it, really what to expect. I'm hoping it'll be productive. All I know is I'm going there to work and probably on camera <laughs> for some amount of time. I know almost nothing about what we're doing besides like here's like a topic that we'll yeah. be doing a video on and that's it. Like nothing. Hey, hey don't so, kid yourself, man. I'm in the same boat. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to figure it out when you get here. Listen, to be super like real life yeah. and like realistic and it's, wow. I'm, I'm very much – Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I think it'll be a good time. Well, good. Pack your bags. A couple of days. I should probably do that. <laughs> now, <laughs> also, also had to move my flight this morning because I apparently I can't read. So I booked a PM flight. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll be there Wednesday morning. It'll be perfect. No, I don't know. I booked an 8:45 flight PM. 
apparently. Yeah, and Wednesday Wednesday would be shot, so at least now we'll get we might be able to get something done on Wednesday. So that'll be good. So that was I think you have to worry about packing though. I mean, you can fit in Mateo's clothes, right? So they should have extra clothes around for you. We have stuff that's a little bit. This is the best part. I'm pretty sure like I'm actually considering bringing only Woodwhisper shirts because I have enough (laughs) Woodwhisper shirts to last me the whole time. And it could be like a little stick that we have going, like, what shirt's Matt wearing today? Oh, a guild shirt or a whisper <laughs> shirt. Whisper Maybe shirt. the last day I'll throw a wood talk shirt on. <laughs> there you go. I like that. You got to support the brands, man. Because I sure <laughs> as heck don't. I never wear our own stuff. I wear Star Wars. I support other very big businesses. <laughs> well, cool, man. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, should be a good time in spite of the uh, fear and apprehension you might have at this point. Uh, Shannon, what do you got going on? I used two power tools this week your car and i'm i'm still i'm still in like a, a morning period i feel like i betrayed myself i'm dirty You're and a little hungover that. maybe <laughs> yeah yeah a little bit no i just i had to uh build some kind of quick wall mounted boxes for our laundry room our laundry room's like the the little unfinished corner of our basement. So it definitely didn't need to be fancy. just needed to mount onto a center block wall. So I had some plywood left over. So I whipped out the track saw and the power drill and a pocket hole jig. Oh, baby. What? That's right. Oh, baby. Right. I had one of those. But I used like, <laughs> it's the true paradox. I used like really high quality plywood. <laughs> <laughs> nothing but the like best one inch one inch thick marine grade plywood oh, like exposed to edge oh jeez. because <laughs> we we had a, a a return of a bunch of strips that were well, not strips but um not four by eight sheets but uh like 18 inch um by eight foot long strips um so i loaded them up took them home cut them up pocket hold them together and i have like floating um like box shelves just for things like detergent and all that stuff on the wall. My wife's been wanting them for a while. And I was like, it was a great opportunity to bring this plywood home. But then at the same time, I was like, this stuff is in the way. She's like, well, it'd be the perfect opportunity for you to build those boxes. So this was definitely one of those. uh, It was not about the journey. It was about getting it done. And it was, uh, it's good. You know, pulled out the track saw, made some long rip cuts, made some cross cuts, screwed them together, hung them on the wall. And I was done. Nice. Um, but the rest of my weekend was taken up. If you guys remember a while ago, I talked about that uh, wood board game called Lignum that mm-hmm. came out. Yes. Well, yep. mine arrived. It arrived oh, last geez. week. <laughs> and this thing is awesome, man. Like incredibly high quality. Like all the parts, all the little game pieces are, are real wood. They're mm-hmm. made out of beech and maple. Um, it's just a beautifully, beautifully uh crafted game very typical of that kind of high-end board game sure find in germany and belgium and stuff like that but it's really good um you know the the subject matter sounds like only a woodworker would love it but you know it's kind of like a little bit of a Catan type thing where Mm -hmm. you're you know you're building or or i compare it to ticket to ride where you're like building an empire of sorts and like a supply chain from the forest to your sawyer but what I didn't realize is what I bought actually had the free joinery expansion kit. Oh, baby. So you can go, you go oh. even further and you build joineries and you actually produce products. And it was just, it was a super, super fun game. Um, and, uh, you know, my wife obviously has nothing vested in the whole lumber industry woodworking thing, but she loved it. So highly recommend this. That's pretty Good funny. Game. It's kind of, I mean, it's a crazy concept. It's like 
woodworking is so exciting that we have to pretend to do it. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, like car racing, right? It's just, it's the same thing. You know, you want a virtual version of it as well because it's so exciting. Yeah. I mean, and you think about it, the topic is really on paper. Well, what do you do in the game? Well, you, you fell trees and you figure out how to transport them to the mill and then you saw up logs and then you have to deal with selling those logs. And it's like, wow, that's really yeah. dull, but <laughs> Super fun. Like, and uh, I'm just totally impressed. Like, it's a beautiful game. Like, the board itself is really, really well done. That's cool. Um, and I, I love the fact that all the pieces are, are you know, solid wood. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. So Awesome. I like it. Living we have to bring it to, like, game. the next uh, meetup that we wind up all going to and get a big game there going. We go. That's true. That'd be awesome. When is that? When will I even be? <clears throat> I don't know. It's a good question. I might be going to uh, find Woodworking Live this year. That's a while. Yeah, so it? I don't know when that is. Isn't that usually in the fall? I'm working lives in the spring, right? Is it in the like spring? April? I thought it already happened. Yeah, well, it's like in April, past right? years. Okay, so then it must be spring. Yeah. So yeah, so I might be going to that. We should, go, we should all go to that. I don't think we've all <laughs> gone to, to that one before. I have not been to that. Yeah, let's do it. See, I think I think we should just all three like take a class somewhere. Just take. Oh, that would be good, too. Uh, that would suck for the instructor. <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> they go in and they go. Guys, and they, I was carrying the cameras around. Yeah, they what see the three of us sitting there. They just go, oh, jeez. We, we, we would be separated very quickly. Yeah, we would not be able to sit at the same bench <laughs> like a bunch of kids. Okay, so let's uh, skip what's new. And we do have one quick kickback because we want to get to all your questions. Uh, this is from Adam. Hello, this is Adam from Connecticut. This is a response to Matt from Illinois. In episode 399, he was having problems with keeping his template on his workpiece while scroll sawing. The glue kept letting go, it left all sorts of residue, and he was having all sorts of problems. About 20 years ago, someone gave me a secret to doing this. Uh, Don't use glue. Instead, use carbon paper that you can get at Staples in boxes pretty cheaply. Lay the carbon paper on the workpiece, tape it down... So it doesn't move. Put the printed image on that and tape it away, tape it down. Then trace your image. You get a nice clean black line that you can follow with your scroll saw. And then you don't have any sort of glue residue or uh, paper lifting up off the workpiece. Um, I still have the same cox of carbon paper that I got sometime in the 90s. Um, hope it works for you and good luck. There you go. Back in the 90s when they still sold it. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> now you got to go to eBay to buy your carbon paper. Yeah, not exactly the oh. easiest stuff to locate. It comes in <laughs> handy for like inlays and stuff like that too. And I am also working off the same batch that I bought when I right. first started woodworking. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering like, oh, this might not be easy to replace when the time comes. Carbon paper is kind of an interesting thing because like I'm from a generation where we never used it. So it's not like something I think about ever yeah. as like something that exists. You're, that you're from a generation that doesn't know what paper is let alone carbon paper. <laughs> Fine. Digital books, Fine. digital news. Oh my, oh my God. You know what? We're going to be on vacation and I'm going to be not in the 20, in my 20s anymore on our vacation. Oh, really? That's crazy. I'm going to come back. I'll be a 30-something come back and be an old, You know what? It's over. Just throw that's in the a, towel, man. That's a, a, a not so subtle way of saying he expects a party, Mark. Oh, oh wait! Is oh, yeah. your, that's just the that's just the subtle way of saying, "Oh, it's going to be my birthday while I'm there." Yeah, so well, it'll be when I get back. Don't worry. Oh. Okay, all right. It won't happen while you're here. That's good because that would be well, awkward. Well, we're on vacation from the show. Oh, I'm not going on vacation. Oh, okay. Because that's the other thing. Denver is not a vacation. I was going to say don't this. Even... Don't refer to it as a vacation because <laughs> we're going to be working our butts off. 
Okay, uh, let's get to our actual voicemail proper with some questions here. Kevin has a Rubo question. Hey, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. It's Kevin from New York. Hope you're all doing well. First, I want to apologize for calling Shannon an albino gorilla a few weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, it didn't even I make like any it. sense. It's stuck. It's not like he's covered in thick fur like Mark and Matt. And he's certainly not strong or powerful like a gorilla. I mean, he's, he's soft and pink. Like cotton candy or a stuffed animal you'd win at the fair. Anyway, thanks for fully accepting my apology. Now on to my question. It's been a few years, and I'm wondering what would you guys change about the design of your Rubo benches? The dimensions, the materials, the vices? I'd love to hear your thoughts as I'm getting ready to build mine, and I know you guys have put so many hours working on yours. All right, uh, appreciate your help, and take care. Bye. Okay. That's a really good question. And I I don't think I would change anything I would add. And the only thing I would add is storage. Uh, Basically that shelf on the bottom is just sitting there doing nothing for me and collecting crap. Uh, Having a nice uh, storage cabinet under or inside the bench would be pretty darn useful. But other than that, I've got no complaints. I feel like the, the basic Rubo, what is it? Plate 11. Is that what they, uh, the Benchcrafted one is designed after? That split-top Rubo design is just so well thought out, and it's so simple. Like, there's really not a lot of complexity and things you can regret, and if you want to add stuff to it, you can. So I find it a, a, a design that's just time-tested and proven to be good, and I have no complaints on it. And then, and then again, I'm not really a heavy hand tool user, so if there are those limitations... You know, Shannon might be the better person to address those for the basic design, but personally, no regrets at all. There's not much I would change. I agree. I mean, I don't have a split top, and actually, I think the Plate 11 doesn't show a split top either. I think that's a modern. Right. That was, I think it was a modern thing that Jamil came up with so yes. that you could use a bench top planer right, <laughs> right, right. to run your two halves through. Yeah, good point. But that that central planing notch is a very cool idea, and. I added that into the workbench I just built up in Maine, and I don't have that on my Rubo here. And even then, I don't think I would add it. I still really like the solid slab top, Mm -hmm. but I'm with you, Mark. I mean, I probably wouldn't have a tail vise if I built it again, but I don't, you know, it's not like my bench, you know, is made worse because I have a tail vise that I don't use. Yeah, Um, it's just an extra thing. It's just, it's kind of superfluous, but no, I mean, that design, I refer to it as kind of the blank chassis. You can add so much to that basic design to make it more functional, but Mm -hmm. the thing is, is ridiculously functional. I've never been in a situation where I've been like, oh, if only I had, you know, X, I could hold this work better. And for me, the shelf I like, um, because I do use it a lot. I keep like bench hooks and all the, the stuff, the workbench aids that I am using day in and day out are down there. Um, but that, I think, is the difference between the way I work and the way you work. Yeah. Um, you probably don't have as many of those things um, to keep down there. <clears throat> so then it just becomes a rat's nest of junk. Exactly. Yeah. And if, and if you have a shortage of drawer storage, that's a great place to have drawer storage. But if you have enough, sure. then adding more drawers doesn't really do much for you. Yeah. Good call. What do you think, Matt? Uh, I have a couple things, I guess. So first off, if I had the space for it, I'd make it bigger. Make really? it a little bit deeper yeah, yeah, and a, a decent amount longer, just because you can never have too much horizontal space, I guess. But the one thing that I wish was different on it was the overhang on the leg vice side. I wish it was longer than it is now. Okay. The way that I work, 
I, that's where I sit when I do my dovetail chopping and waste removal or whatever. Okay. So having a little more space there yeah. to actually sit there next to that next to the chop would be awesome. But mm. other than that, I have no complaints. It's interesting. That's a, I guess it's a personal workflow and also scale of what you're working on. Because I was uh, talking with with Andy. Uh, was it Andy? I don't know. No, I was talking with somebody who stopped by the shop to buy something. Sorry, getting my getting people confused. I do that. Oh. Anyway. Uh, so I was looking at the bench and he asked me about, you know, could you make it smaller? And I was explaining to him how, how you might go about that to, to make it a little bit less long. And I look at it and go, you know what? I, not that I want it longer. It's, it's fine the way it is. And I've got capacity if I need it. But if I were really trying to be as efficient as possible in a smaller space, I could probably go with about six inches less on the length. I, I don't usually use it. And again, that's just the scale of, of the things I'm working on most of the time. Um, so I thought it was interesting that you, you would actually go longer, uh, with yours. I could definitely, a little, a little deeper too, I think. Yeah. Cause it's what? 24 deep ish. Yeah, somewhere around about there. That looks about 24 from here. I can measure it. Something like that. It's really far I go away. Like, maybe like, maybe like 30, 28, 30, I think just a little bit. Interesting. It depends on the stuff you're working on. Like if you're working on, I don't know. What was I working on recently? Something I was working on something recently where I couldn't get all like, there's a table or something. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. You couldn't, I couldn't get like all four legs on the bench. When okay. it was assembled or something, because it was just a little too wide, or like a whole case piece or something. I don't know. Plus, like I still have plenty of room to like reach around and get through, every, get to the other side of the bench and everything. So I think a little more depth could be just more useful to have more, you know, square footage or you know, real estate to put stuff, yeah, or work, whatever. You know, it's fine. But, I don't usually confront that issue, but I was working on these chairs and I'm addressing each side, so I kind of turn the chair ninety degrees each time as I'm working mm-hmm. on it. There've been a couple times where I turn it and it's back a little too far, and one of the legs just goes whoop, whoop, and I got a very, very close call as I'm like, oh crap, and I grab it before it falls. You got those rubber mats on the floor for a reason. Yes, yeah. but what about the concrete wall <laughs> that is going to hit on the way down? <laughs> sure, we'll talk about that one. <laughs> that is not coated in rubber. Uh, okay, great question, though. Um, all right, next one here is from Jeff. Pass this up. Yellow leather, yellow leather. Unique New York. Unique New York. Okay, energy. Okay, okay, energy. <sighs> Shannon, in the last episode, you referenced... <laughs> Hatoba as Jadaba, but in previous episodes, such as episode 344, 372, 206, 114, you said Hatoba. What is the reason for this sudden change in pronunciation? You did it. Somebody. All right. That was great, Jeff. That's a great question. This is really important stuff. And, and yeah, that, that's that, it's, it's, it is a good question because it's it's funny because we laugh about it at the lumberyard all the time because that's the one species that like everybody in the building pronounces it slightly differently. Yeah. So my pronunciation probably uh, might it might have to do with the 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 volume of alcohol I consumed before the show. I don't know. Um, <laughs> more it it just it changes daily. So. I probably will come down on Jadaba a little bit more, um, but you just happened to catch the Hatoba. I was feeling particularly ethnic those days and running it out. But Sipili, Sipele, um, I mean, all the time um, we hear these these, uh, pronunciations change. So I've even heard um, South Americans, uh, Brazilians with like thick Portuguese accents 
referring to him as Jadaba, and then you talk to another guy on the same like same conference call, and he's calling it um, Yatoba, so or Yatoba. So I mean, who knows? And I thought in the past you've you've called it Jatoba to pronounce the J, not Hatoba. I call it Hatoba, and people correct me all the time. So Uh, I like Jadaba because it really does sound like something from Star Wars. (laughs) Jadaba. It just sounds so clunky. It does. I love it. Okay. I feel um, like if I if I use the soft J that I'm like a you know an NPR announcer. Yeah. You know, it's like totally white, and then they throw out like you know today in Catahenia we have the <laughs> conversation. You know, and it's like come on, dude. I love it when people do that. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. that's every time I use like the Hatoba. Like, who are you trying to impress? Come yeah. on, white boy. You know? <laughs> it's like that uh, that chick on the Food Network. You know, you, you ever watch that? She's uh, she's really pretty, but she's Italian. Uh, Giada something or other. And she does that. Like she has perfect English, but then anytime it's even remotely an Italian word, she has to pronounce it as if it's in the <laughs> Italian language. I love when people do that. So I prefer to use a fork to twirl my spaghetti. Yeah. But <laughs> she does it all the time. It's super annoying. It doesn't work very well. Okay. Uh, let's go to Rob's email. By the way, I pronounced that. Robe. Shannon. Roberto. Hey, uh, so here's my thing. I know nothing about woodworking, but for the last five years, I've made it a goal to get into building solid body guitars. And uh, I have been slowly accumulating some tools. I got a little bitty bandsaw, nine inch throat. I've got um, some routers. No bits yet. Uh, Working on that. They're good routers, though. They're all Bosch. Um, I've got a couple other things. Uh, I do not have some other things that most uh, luthiers seem to have. Like I don't have a, a sander of any kind just yet, although I know which one I'm going to get eventually. But uh, one problem I've got, last week's episode you addressed uh, how not all of us have access to great stocks of hardwood. And around here, uh, for building a guitar body, I would need, of course, a quarter. Um, so one question I've got is this. If you are a woodworker beginning with limited shop space, limited budget, and uh, you've got to glue up basically a couple of slabs, join them together to make a a guitar body, um, what would be the simplest way, do you think, to do that? Obviously, I have a router, so I could come up with something there to joint the edges of the wood before I piece them together. Uh, I've looked into using a table saw because that's a that's a, a tool I could use for some other projects. Uh, but I don't have one yet. And, of course, I've looked into hand planes, but I'll be honest with you, I'm not uh, super keen on heavy physical labor, and I'm also kind of prone to glazing over as soon as I start reading about sharpening techniques, although I know I've got to get there at some point, and I think they're beautiful, but, uh, you know, right now I'm not sure that hand tools are necessarily the way I want to go full stop. So what are some other options I've got? And of course, there's, there's planers, uh, but I don't think I have room in the shop for one that's big enough to handle. I'm actually going to cut that short. There's like another minute to this, but the gist of it is he wants to do edge jointing to glue up the bodies. He also wants to do thicknessing on these because if it's eight quarter, I think he said he needs to come down to like an inch and three quarters, inch and a half. So he has a significant thicknessing to do. And obviously without the planer or hand planes, he's, he's going to have trouble doing that. So he wants suggestions on uh, both jointing edges and thicknessing post glue up and how he can get that done. So this is one of those tricky things because I know when I was in this situation, 
And maybe that should be, I'm just lame for doing it this way. And I feel bad giving anything remotely like this answer because truthfully, if you're motivated enough, you can almost always find a way to get something done. So I don't want people to be discouraged. But when I think about my own journey on this, when I wanted to do certain things, if I didn't have the right tool, I just waited until I had that tool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, <laughs> I actually did let the lack of the tool stop me from doing that thing to to an extent. I mean, there are certain things that I, I did, but um, so I, I, that's kind of like, it's a, t- a total cop out because there are ways to do it, but I'm just like, nah, it's too much trouble. I know that that is the best tool for the job and I'll wait till I have that tool and then I'll get it done. You know, so that, that's, that's me being lazy. Uh, but if we're not being lazy, what things can he do? Let's take the jointing first. So he's got well, fairly I, thick boards. I jointed, I jointed with a router table for years when I first got started. <clears throat> yeah. I think we've talked about this, like, you know, in one of our inspiration type episodes, I, I, um, mentioned the router workshop. Like oh, yeah. that was yeah, the yeah. only show on my local PBS. So that mm-hmm. was like where I got some early info and they, you know, talked about using a, you know, a stepped fence to joint with just a typical straight bit. Mm-hmm. And that worked great. Um, early on for the parts that I was making, I was making a lot of smaller craft show type stuff. It was fantastic. Great way to joint stuff, but it relies upon a face that's already flat because you've got to run that face down on the router table. Yeah. Um, even if you weren't, if you were handheld, handhelding it, handhelding, handholding it, holding, holding it by hand. Yeah, sure. Even <laughs> if you weren't using a router table, um, I suppose you could joint it, but you still have to have a reference surface for the router to, to run on. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, granted, you, I hear from people all the time. Apparently, the normal is buying surface stock at retail lumberyards rather than roughs on. Um, just about probably nine out of 10 people I talk to now saying, well, the stuff they're buying is actually S2S. Now it doesn't actually mean it's flat, but for the size of the guitar body he's talking about, it's not like he's having to flatten a, you know, 36 inch long board. So once he cuts off, what's the average guitar body, probably 18, 20 inches long. Yeah. seems like it would be. So you probably would have a relatively flat board there. So I would suggest first buying S2S stock. So maybe you can, you can get that flat face already and then just use a router table to joint the edge. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you're into a thickness planer um, to really get to prep those faces. Yeah. And I think you could also, if he's going handheld, if you've got a nice straight edge as a guide and a big enough bit, you could actually just use a flush trim bit with a straight edge to yeah. actually joint that edge. Now, and the, the reality of this is that some of these tools, especially like a router, you might get a little bit of chatter you know, so it's not necessarily going to be a glass smooth surface, but it, yeah. it will get you close. It'll get you pretty darn close to where you need to be. And that's, this is all about compromise anyway. So, and that's a good point because he's probably using some kind of pattern for the body shape anyway. Mm-hmm. So you could pattern route to get that glue, glue edge, but you know, buy a really nice flush trim bit. Yeah. You know, and it would have to, to be substantial surface. You're talking about an yeah. eight quarter board, but it's one of those things too. You can, uh, if it's not that long, you could do one pass, maybe get half the thickness done and then lower it down without the guide. You don't need the guide anymore. So you lose that, bring the router down and just have the bearing riding against the surface you just previously made. That's really depending on that bit being good because if it's not good, you'll have a little bit of a ridge line uh, there right. through the whole thing. Not the truck. Um, no, that's an actual, <laughs> an actual line. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's the Honda. Uh, well, but at least you have a power outlet that doesn't work. That's that true. You, yeah, that you can't <laughs> use for power tools. <laughs> now, but you can now, charge what do you your phone. Think about, so. What do you think about a circular saw? Like with a fine tooth blade, with a really good fine finished blade, do you think you can get a good glue joint out of that? 
No. And they have those glue line <laughs> blades. You can. Like, you can. It depends on how picky you are about that joint. Like, yeah, in true. theory, you can get there. But if you're cutting an eight-quarter board and any circular saw, I mean, Festool is probably going to get you the closest. And I say Festool, but I mean track saws with a really good blade will get you pretty darn close. But those surfaces, they're good, but they're still not quite perfect. Yeah. I mean, it could it could be close enough or good enough, but I would not call it perfect. But that's definitely that's definitely a reasonable way for him to go. Sure, sure could benefit from a nice jack plane. <laughs> but he has to sharpen him, Shannon. I know. No one wants I to know. sharpen. Well, no, you don't. I mean, seriously, the blade that comes out of Veritas and Lee Nails, <laughs> that's pretty good right out of the box. Consider so it a one-time Just throw use. it away when it's when it's done and exactly. just buy a new blade. Yeah. You don't have to buy a new plane. Just buy a new blade. I like that. You need like a Kleenex box full of blades. <laughs> that's, that's you just kind of reach and pull out another blade. Oh. Yeah. Um, Veritas, there's your next April Fool's right there. Disposable <laughs> blade box. Yeah. I like that. I, I give that to you for free. Please do that. Yeah, I want to it. see that. <laughs> um, Matt, any tricks, any uh, tips you'd give to this guy? If you want to stay basic and simple as far as tooling goes, I'm, I think you could probably get this all done with the router. You can do your surfacing with the router sled, and you can do your edge jointing with like a straight edge and a flush trim bit, as we talked about already. Uh, I have no idea how good of a joint you'd be able to get that way, as you guys are talking about. I haven't done actual like edge jointing on something that thick before, mm-hmm. but I would probably surface it first to get the thickness down a little bit, and then joint it with the router if that's your if that's the way you're going to go, because then you don't have as much material to remove in that jointing operation. So if you come all the way down to inch and a half, that's a lot less material than two inches. Yeah. That's 25% less. Makes sense. So. Okay. You um, know, the other alternative here mm-hmm. is think about the species you're using for that solid body guitar. And if you're using something that's a little difficult to get the wider boards, change species to something you can get wider boards in. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we stock, we, we sell to a lot of guitar makers and there's a lot of solid body guys that don't want to deal with the glue up. Sure. So they're looking for 18 and 20 inch wide boards. And it's actually not that hard to source it in the right species. Yeah, you know, it's it not can't that be, wide. No, it, it's really it's not. not. When, no. when you, it all comes down to how it's sawn. You know, I mean, a lot of people, I, I've said this before, most narrow boards have been sawn out of a wider board. It's not that wide stuff isn't there. It's just, there's no commercial demand for it. So the sawmills are ripping them into six to eight inch wide because that's what it takes to meet the FAS grade. Mm-hmm. If and people you, can play when I rip little nice slabs <laughs> up into little pieces. Right. But, but here's the thing, as I said earlier, you don't need that long of a blank. So what I would do is hit your guitar making forums, hit the luthier forums and find some sources for companies that specialize in guitar blanks mm-hmm. and just buy a guitar blank. Well, that that would solve a lot of problems for him. Yeah. I mean, you're probably <laughs> going to pay a little bit more for getting, well, you know, A, you're probably going to get a really, really high quality, maybe in a figured board. But this is already set up to just put your pattern over top of it and cut the thing out. Mm-hmm. And the time savings will probably and the and the savings on additional tooling will probably end up canceling out the additional cost you would pay. And and there are certainly people out there that specialize in luthier quality lumber. Um, just Google it. You might might be surprised what you can find. Yeah. That's 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 good advice. I like that. Also Best the first answer. time saying do less woodworking. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you, heard it, you heard it from us, guys. Less woodworking, less is more here. 
Okay, so if you want to send us voicemails like that in the future, again, we're going to be gone for a couple of weeks, so we'll have some stocked up by the time we get back. Uh, you could send us a voicemail using your voice memo app on your smart device and mail that to woodtalkonline at gmail.com and we'll play it on the show. All right, so now it's all about the emails. We're going to crank these out as fast as we can and uh, we've got a few pre-selected here, but we'll grab more if we need them. Uh, first one here is from Brian. He says, I've never worked with Hickory, so I purchased Hickory to make my largest project, a queen bed frame, and immediately destroyed the first piece with a huge tear out in my planer with each light pass just ripping out more chunks. I started to hand plane my second board. Uh, when he wrote that, I was like, Ugh, I can't even oh, imagine. Boy. <laughs> <clears throat> Fearing my planer, but I've worn a hole in my hand and it still has a ways to go. I'm tempted to try it through my planer, but would hate to destroy another board. Suggestions. And uh, he says, my planer knives are sharp. And that's from Brian. So I haven't worked with Hickory a lot. I've done maybe two or three projects with it. My mom's uh, previous home had Hickory cabinets in it. So I had to do some work to match some stuff in her house. So the experience I had with that is that Hickory is very dense, very hard, but it's also got a sort of brittle aspect to it where it's very prone to tearing out. So you'll, you'll, you'll get a little piece of a, like a router bit or something you're putting a profile in, takes a little bit too big of a chunk and it kind of goes across one of those natural fault lines and then a whole piece just breaks out. So it's not too surprising that you're having some issues there. Uh, you know, some planers are better than others, depending on the configuration of the knives, sharpness of the knives. You may think your knives are sharp. Maybe they're not as sharp as you think they are. Uh, but ultimately it sounds like the planer just isn't going to work for you. In this case, it's the nature of the beast, and chances are you you just may have some particularly temperamental boards on your hands. Maybe the next board isn't going to be as bad. Maybe it was just that one, but you're in that really tough position to risk planing more and, like you said, destroying uh, a perfectly good board. I would say at least try another one and see if maybe the whole batch is just a little bit difficult to work with because sometimes, you know, from board to board, it may vary a little bit and maybe you just had one bad dud in the batch. So give it another shot with the planer. But ultimately, if you find that that second board does it too, maybe Hickory is not your material for this one. Uh, I mean, or, or if you can find someone else who has a planer, maybe with a, a helical head in it, a segmented cutter head, maybe you'll be able to use that on the material. But if it's going to be prone to tear out and you can't use your hand planes on it, now you're really starting to limit what you can do with this stuff. And we're back to like Rob's question about like, should I be using a, a router bit and a sled to do this? Or, you know, how, how far do you want to go just to use that material? So I would say find something else possibly, uh, you know, that, that's close to the look you guys want and see if you can't even take that material back and, uh, get something else. Yeah. <clears throat> get some ash, get some Oak. It'll be fine. Yeah. They'll look hickory. Hickory is one of those woods that is so incredibly wonderful to work when it's green and it mm. sucks when it's kiln dried. Yeah. Like dramatic difference. Mm -hmm. And the problem is kiln dried hickory 99.9999% used for flooring. So it is low grade. It is number two common or worse. Um, and thaw, uh, thawn, it thawn really thin. <laughs> so that you... Seriously? Seriously. Super thin. Um, so yeah, you, you're, dealing with, you're dealing with lumber that is cut for, for yield, not for quality. Um, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Moving on. Okay. Uh, so let's let, even though we have these bunched together in the show notes, let's just uh, skip to the next person and we'll go back around. That's fair. That's fair. Share this <laughs> oh, that's right. mouth thing. Maybe we shouldn't <laughs> send it to Matt because he, he can't talk right now. I'll take it. I'm on it. I'm okay. always the consummate Shen, professional. Take ready your first to go. one. 
This one comes from Dan. He says, what's the cutover point between sawing and planing? I debated over how to remove a quarter inch on a decent sized board and decided to take my number five plane to it. I guess this is probably where a scrub plane is really best. Uh, Dan, what I like to think about is the cutoff and what would I do with that cutoff? Um, generally, when it comes to like an inch, maybe less than an inch, I tend to want to plane because I just don't have a lot of use for a skinny little strip. Um, for a while there, I was keeping them using those like stickers for like um, after I resaw boards or whatever and sticking them. But I've got like 30 of those floating around the shop now. <laughs> then I was like, well, I went through a pin blank phase. I was like, well, I can keep that three quarter inch square and turn it into 12 pin blanks. <laughs> and that got really stupid really fast. So <laughs> I, I look at that off cut in, in your case with a quarter inch off cut, I would have very little use for that quarter inch piece other than to maybe stick it in the fire pit. So I look at whatever is going to be the fastest and you have to think about sawing might be fast, but then you've got to go back and plane it later. So that's going to add to your timing. So just take a step back and figure out what's going to allow me to remove that material the fastest all the way to like a finish ready surface. And probably your number five was the best choice with a quarter inch because you quickly plane it down and your edge is jointed and clean and don't have to do any additional work. Whereas you could saw it and maybe about the same time, but then you've got to go back and plane that again. So think not so much about the board that you want to keep, but what you're going to do with the leftover. Otherwise you're going to end up with a lot of little skinny strips that you just may not have any use for. Right. Good point. Have you Boom. composed yourself, Matt? You're ready to go. Big breath. <sighs> you could do this. Okay. Okay. All right. This one's from Billy. Says recently I bought a eight inch jointer to go with my planer. I feel like my whole world has now opened up regarding lumber I can use. Insert sound of music here. <laughs> okay. The hills where's this, where's this are alive. Go. Shannon's got it. Shannon's got. It. Thanks. He capitalized it, so I assume he was referring just to that show. So. Yeah, not I'm just like generic it. music. Yeah. <laughs> Capital Mark, play, sound. Of play some music, Mark. Quick. Okay, here, I got one. Bon, my name is Matt. Welcome to my shop. Oh, oh wait, that's perfect. not music. <laughs> music that's to music. my ears. That is absolutely music. <laughs> the lifeless uh, sounds of Kermona. I can't wait to wake up to that uh, in, the, in the middle of this week. It's going to be great. I say that in the, every morning. I say, uh, hello, my name is Matt. Welcome to Mark's house. <laughs> do you do that with your kids? <laughs> time for breakfast. You wake your kids up in the morning. Uh, <laughs> hey, kids, my name is Matt. I'm here to get you dressed today. Make sure we pee before we go to school. Your daddy. Uh, I'm your daddy every, today. Every morning when Lindsay leaves, happy woodworking, Lindsay. Happy woodworking. <laughs> happy woodworking. <laughs> Have a good day at work and she just happy woodworking. rolls her eyes and gets into the car. <laughs> She's so happy to go to work in the mornings. <laughs> Get me out of here. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so anyway, Billy says before this, he was primarily using pre-milled S4S material all three of you have mentioned that you like to use thicker material when the project allows, but do you find there's a range in which a certain thickness, certain thicknesses are more visually appealing? Wow, for certain projects, for small boxes, is there a thickness you naturally feel is too thin or too thick from a visual or construction standpoint? What about something bigger like Shannon's hanging tool cabinet? Appreciate the show, Billy. Hmm. How thick is your tool cabinet stock? Shannon, three quarters or seven eighths? Something? It's, it's like seven eighths, whatever I thicknessed it to, whatever yep. got me there the fastest. That's kind of what I figured, yeah. So that's started with four quarter and planed <laughs> it till it was flat. Most most of my stuff, unless there's some reason for it to be three quarter, like it just happens to be really easily divisible into quarter inch pieces for like joinery methods or 
something like that, maybe then I'll go to the three quarter. But most of the time, I don't even pay attention to exactly what the thickness is. It's just a whatever it all ends up being when it all gets cleaned up and flattened. So typically for me, it's around seven eighths. 15 16ths. Um, 15 16ths. Wow. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, seven eighths there. <laughs> <laughs> a little it's bit of everything. Same. So re- remember, Ooh, this, this was made is, uh, by a hand tool guy. 15. So <laughs> 13 16ths on that one. So yeah. It's, it's what we call hand tool consistent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hand tool precise. Yeah. Oh, on the other side of the spectrum, though, for the thinner stuff, I think as you kind of get into milling your own stuff down and being able to pick whatever thickness you want, you start to notice that a lot of people that use pre-service material for like small boxes, the feeling is just too heavy. Like a small box out of three-quarter material feels super heavy. Like for the stuff that I want that I'll be making, like a box, I'm like down like under half, like three-eighths maybe. Mm-hmm. I think that has a much more nicer, more delicate feel, which I think lends itself well to the scale of the project. Otherwise, the thickness just looks out of place. Yeah, um, you guys, especially you guys if you have like stock. if you have like through joinery, like if you're using dovetails in the corners, uh, it looks super clunky. Oh yeah, and it's more materials to remove. It's much easier to dovetail thinner stock because you know it's thinner. Heck yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, there, there are times I did my trestle table for the kitchen, and I had a through tenon, and it was a, a wedged through tenon, and I did a couple different SketchUp drawings of it, and I wanted to use eight quarter stock. But as much as I wanted to use a big fat piece of lumber, the scale of the table just didn't take it. It wouldn't look right. So I actually had to thin the thing down to an inch and a half, even though I could have been perfectly happy with an inch and three quarters. It would have been fine, but it just didn't look right. I needed to actually slim it down for just the overall appearance of the piece. So as much as we try to leave that extra thickness whenever possible, sometimes the design dictates that it has to be smaller for the sake of it not looking clunky. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point too. Like on the the sofa table I did, that one actually went to uh, thinner stock, like three quarter for most of the panels, just because it has a more delicate feel. Mm-hmm. And that was the look I was going for with that table. Something a little more elegant, a little more delicate, not so clunky and bulky. And that table is kind of interesting because I made one before that using a thicker stock. It's out of, out of seven eighths, I think, mm-hmm. and put them side by side. It's so drastically different. You would think like an eighth of an inch of in thickness, that's not going to do much. But it's incredible what a visual impact it makes to have that thinner stock and gives it just it flows so much better in the whole piece because it just lends itself well to the whole elegance of the overall style. Yeah. Well, in the bigger picture, there is not so much using the thinner stuff, but the contrast between the different thicknesses. So, like even with a box, you know, if you use a thinner. Uh, uh, thinner stock for the sides, but maybe you go with a thicker piece for like a slab lid or something on the box. Mm-hmm. It's a design statement. Um, and the converse of that, a thin lid or a thicker, you know, that, that difference in thickness is what creates the, the interest. Yeah. I mean, hell, I think the green and green style is based entirely upon varying thicknesses and shadow lines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, not entirely, but yes, it is. Shut up. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, Roundovers and cloud. There, there's a couple plugs. other things going on. Um, you know, another good example that always stands out to me is the classic shaker table. Have you ever seen someone who thinks that the the typical classic shaker table legs are too thin or the top is too thin, and instead they use thicker stock? Yeah, that table looks like crap. If you go any thicker, <laughs> sorry, people. Who I mean, it just thicker it, stock. It looks bad. <laughs> You know, so I've seen a number of people, you know, and you try to be nice about it because it's fine. It's a fine table. 
But when you look at the elegance of just the classic shaker table design, the, the one that's fairly popularized by modern uh, plans and things like that, um, when that when that leg goes down, I think it goes down to like five eighths square yeah, yeah. at the bottom. That's it's really like one and a quarter at the top, which yeah. is what really gets people because they end up making it thicker at the top because I think they need more tenons and yep. then when they go from one and a half or one and three quarters down to five eighths, that looks weird. Yeah. So then they make it like, you know, three quarter or seven eighths at the bottom and Oh, it ruins the entire design. Yeah. It's amazing how much of an impact on such a simple table. So that's a good one to study. If you're looking at, uh, well, you're in, you're in cabrioleg land right now, Matt. Cabrioleg land. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's now down the road from frontier land before tomorrow land. Um, (laughs) but the, the thinness or thickness of the ankle right above the pad foot, it's so key. And if you look at like, um, uh, what is it? Good, better and best Albert Sachs, a book on, um, museum furniture. And he talks about, you know, this is a good design. This is a better design. And this is a masterpiece. A lot of times it's playing with the thinness of something. How delicate can you make it? And how's, you know, flowing is that curve? How thin is it? And really, you know, pushing those boundaries. Yeah. You know, good, better and best, I think was a working title for the show actually. <laughs> yeah. Who's who? That's the question. Okay, uh, let's go to <laughs> let's go to another question here from Bill. He says, "I'm refinishing the uh, red oak table I made in high school 23 years ago for my mom. I scraped and sanded it down to 150 grit, wiped it clean with a tack cloth, and applied one coat of General Finishes Honey Oil Stain. Let it dry for five days while at work. I then applied a coat of General Finishes Armor Seal this past Thursday evening. Four days later, today, the table and removable leaves are perfect and are ready to be lightly sanded before the second coat, except for one board on one side of the table. Excuse me." The board has always been a little darker, even when I built the table. It's four quarter thick and uh, six inches wide by four feet long and tacky. Uh, right at the seam of the joining board and along the entire length is tacky. The other board is fine, like the rest of the table, but the six inch wide, four inch or four foot long section is tacky. I lightly sanded it and it was a little bit gummy as expected, but a little bit better now. Still not cured enough for the next coat. Please help. I'm stumped. Thanks, Bill. All right. So that's a, that sucks. It sounds to me. And I mean, things can happen, you know, whether it's, uh, it it sounds like if it was a different color before you certainly have the chance, I mean, wood is a natural material, right? So from board to board, you have varying, uh, consistencies, densities, you know, grain composition, there are things going on. So if there was something there that made that first coat, uh, soak in differently or cure slightly differently when you did the refinishing process, maybe it held on to more material and didn't absorb the stain as consistently as the rest of the material did. So then when you applied your finish on top of it, that one section isn't letting, because the oil, uh, the oil stain isn't completely cured is not letting the armor seal cure or is really like retarding the process and slowing it down. Uh, so that's something that just carries through and it's really difficult to predict but when it happens, you see it. So it's, you know, problematic. It sounds like if you were able to even do a, a slightly gummy sand on it, it sounds like something that could potentially cure with time. This is one that I would try to give it a little bit more time uh, because, you know, short of doing a whole 
uh, mulligan on this piece and doing it over again. Uh, give it a little bit of extra time. Try to wait until that tacks up because, again, when it comes to tacky finish, um, you do not want to continue layering finish on top of it. You are just exacerbating the problem and extending the amount of time it's going to take for it to cure. So try to give it another week. You know, if you, if you have a lot of time to play with, give it even more time because if you can just let it get to a point where it is fully cured, then you'll be fine to continue layering on top of that. Uh, if you don't want to do, like, let's say that doesn't work. Let's say it's continues to be tacky throughout the process. You could, I guess, theoretically give it a coat of shellac or something to help uh, seal off the stuff that is not completely cured and then build on top of that. But that's not really my favorite way to go about it. So uh, I would say if you have to do a complete do-over, you know, bring it back down to bare wood, uh, you can either start with your stain or start with a coat of like de-wax shellac as a bit of a, a pre-sealer and then put your stain on. Uh, but make sure that that stain is cured. And then if it's, again, if that stain is just a little bit tacky, you could have hit that stain layer with de-wax shellac and then your armor seal on top of that. And that could have solved the problem as well. Uh, so there's quite a few ways that you could tackle it. Just depends on what path you take from here. Um, but that's a bummer. I hate when I hear that. It sucks. Ugh. It's weird. That's really weird, though. It's so random, right? But if it's what's one single board, it's clearly a problem child in the mix. You know, what can you do? Okay, throw it away. You're up. (laughs) Start over. Uh, Let's see. This is from Chris. He says, "I am a fellow six foot four Sasquatch with large hands, and I have a question about smoothing planes." I reworked a Bailey number four and quickly became uh, apparent that my mitts are too big. My number five is fine, but not the number four. Since you are a man of large stature, that's a polite way of putting it. What smoothing planes work well for you? Uh, I like the idea of Lee Nielsen, but I don't know if the bedrock design allows for more room in the grip. Uh, The Veritas looks like it might fit the bill a little bit more, but I should also mention that I have a low angle Lee Nielsen smoother and so far I'm pretty comfortable with it. So there there are differences certainly between the handles uh, of manufacturers. The Veritas handles tend to be a little bit more upright. They don't have quite so radical a bend in the tote. Um, and therefore they, they offer more room with somebody with bigger hands. The thing is though, when you start getting down into fours and certainly threes and twos, the handle, I don't care, you know, how you shape it. It's small. It's a very small handle. It's um, perfect. If you're me. Yeah. <laughs> if you're, you know, a munchkin or a <laughs> oompa loompa. Like little that. baby hands. <laughs> You know, you're fine with a number two, you know, toy plane. But <laughs> um, by the way, you know, the other working title for our show was uh, small, medium and large. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> what, what I would recommend if you're really having trouble with this um, is, well, first of all, point your index finger if you're not doing that already. But like when when you're using a handsaw and people talk about point your index finger down the blade, it gives you more accurate cut. Same thing applies with hand planes. You'll find that laying your index finger along the blade, especially if it's a bevel down, you can do it to some respect on a bevel up plane without a frog. But uh, pointing your index finger actually gives you um, it's it's weird at first because it feels like you have less grip on the plane, but that's a very good thing. Um, more often than not, I find people manhandling their planes and really white knuckling them. And that can actually cause problems and cause you to draw an edge out of square, cause you to throw tapers in because the plane itself is not being allowed to do its job. You're, you are interfering with how it's running over the surface. So first things first, take some fingers out of the mix and point that index finger and you will find you have a lot more room on the tote. If you still don't have enough room, point two fingers 
and just grip it with, you know, your ring finger and your pinky. And that's what happens because I prefer to use like a number two and a number three for my smoothing planes. And I cannot get my hand around that, but I'll end up pointing my first two fingers and I've got plenty. Um, you're making gang signs. Mark's making gang signs. Right no, I'm now. trying to exercise. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how you do this. I would have my uh, fingers up in the air like that. Wow. He's, he's offending. He just offended most of the lower East side of LA. Right yeah. now. <laughs> Whoops. Um, so yeah, you, you sometimes have to take a finger out of the mix um, to, to give yourself a little bit more room. If worse comes to worse, if you've ever worked with a number two or a number one, there's just no way to get your hand around that. So it becomes more about um, just pushing your palm against the tote and working from there. In the end, Go to a Lee Nielsen hand tool event. They show up everywhere. Try out a bunch of different planes and, you know, feel how it fits in your hand. Mm-hmm. Veritas now has, like, multiple handle styles, too, don't they? Like the whole yeah. custom thing, right? Custom. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think you can choose your different handles. And both of those are companies where if you can't get to an event where you can try it out by hand, you can purchase it. And if it's not the right fit, they will absolutely take it back and send it, you know, all the shipping stuff covered. You don't have to worry about that. But Veritas may offer some additional um, help because they've got different handle shapes. And if one doesn't work, send it back. You know, that's the beauty of their customer service. No questions asked. Mm -hmm. But again, just from a technique perspective, that whole pointing the finger thing will go a long, long way. It's not just a Rolling Stones thing. You're not just pointing fingers. Good one. (laughs) Real good one. Uh, all right, Matt. Are you wearing what a shirt you? with your own face on it today? Yeah. Yeah, I am. That is fantastic. Wow. You're like a, a Cremona totem pole. <laughs> I gotta, I've got to shoot some uh, videos today, Show so. title. Show title. <laughs> Cremona <Frank> totem pole. <laughs> you just, oh. sometimes you just know it. it just you out. know it when you hear it. <laughs> oh, man. Actually, I'll like some pants with this design on it. That'd be oh, kind of cool, Oh, huh? dude. Yeah. Triple stack. Yeah, totem like, pole one. Or like two. My That's head right on the cross. Words. What do you think? I think, I think that'd be cool. good. All right. I don't know what's going on with this question. Half of the thing is cut off. Um, let me see if I can like two words. By the way, two words. What? Totem pole. Oh, I'm trying to figure out why it's not showing this whole line. Oh, well, whatever. I'm inside. Okay. Just anyway, double clicking this, it. This is from Tobias. He says, "I really like using stop blocks when performing the same operation, cutting, routing, etc., on a number of identical parts." However, I'm currently working on a project, several bookshelves, uh, a bit similar to Shannon's display shelf, where some of the parts are very long, six to seven feet, six to seven feet, not 67 feet. That'd be really long. Six to seven feet, meaning there's no way to use a stop block to get repeatable cuts slash joinery. Neither my machines nor my shop is big enough. Uh, Do you have any good tricks for handling this? I thought of making a temporary reference point somehow in the middle of each piece using a small brass dowel so I could use... That I could use with a stop, but that seems awkward. If it were just for a few cuts, I'd measure carefully, but this project is going to need a lot of repeated cuts, so being able to use a stop lock will be much easier. Thanks. Big fan of the show. Okay. Ooh. So I have to start off by saying I kind of disagree with um, the whole, like, there's no way to use a stop lock for this. And then also, if your shop isn't big enough, how are you planning to build this? So there's that part of it. <laughs> but anyway, so I want to make some sweet assumptions here. I'm going to assume that you can actually make these cuts in your shop. And I'm also going to say that you can use a stop lock for these cuts. So I've done this on some bigger stuff like the farmhouse table, those, um, whatever those things, those long connecting rail things. Those like stretchers. There we go. 
Oh man, I'm so happy I'm on a show with other woodworkers who know fancy woodworking Look words. At, yeah, stretchers. That's a big one. Because that's that's a big word. And <laughs> yes. Totally blanked on it. Anyway, those are those are like eight feet long, and you want those to be the same length. Mm-hmm. So a stop block doesn't necessarily have to be an actual stop block. A lot of times I use stop things. <laughs> So, <laughs> so now I know where you're going with this. Uh, it's good. Stop thing one and thing two. Stop one thing and two. Yes. <laughs> Whatever works. So if I if I'm doing these cuts with, a, with like my miter saw, for instance, that's typically what I'm going to use for a long cut like this. I'll use like my drill press, which is on a cart, and I'll just wheel my drill press into position and move my miter saw to where it needs to be and make the cuts that way. When you're using something like that, where the thing isn't like super well secured. It's not too big of a deal. Just like when you're like putting your workpiece into the, the saw and then sliding over, hit the stop. Don't slam into the stop because you'll probably move it. But if you slide it over until it just contacts it really gently, you're good to go. Uh, I've done that as well with like just put like a six by six block of wood on my bench. I don't even clamp it down. And the same exact thing happens there. So if you have some way to physically put something exactly where you need it to be so the cut ends up being exactly where you need it to be, you're going to be golden. So I think you're good. I think you just kind of think outside the box a little bit about what you can use for a stop. And I think you'll be pretty good, assuming you can do this in your shop. You can do it in the driveway, too. You can use your car as a stop block. That's, that's good. That's a good idea. Where it needs to be in this, I mean, if it's a ridge line, it'd probably work a lot better. It really True. would. But, yeah. I mean, you might, you, I mean, it's not going to be as accurate if you use something that's not a ridge line. Yeah. If you use a Chevy, forget about it. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot of back and forth with the Chevy, but if you do want to splurge for the original line, you get it right there the first. It's just perfect every single time. You don't have to think about it. Yep. Yeah. It's better if you drive the Chevy to the levee, as long as the levee isn't dry. That's true. Oh, Words of wisdom Shannon. from Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> lyrics, dude. Recite him some lyrics. Okay. Uh, oh, man. Very good. Uh, who's Who's next? Me. I no. think that was so. You're I the only one it. who has three here, right? Or did you take the third one? I away? took the third one out. Okay, so here's some random questions. Uh, these were ones that I picked out <laughs> from her uh, list and, and Patreon as well. Uh, so Corey wrote in. He says, "I don't seem to have much luck cleaning up glue squeeze out with chisels, especially in tight spaces, and I end up doing certain joints at the same problem where it's cut off here." Uh, or construction techniques to adapt. Instead of making a box with captive uh, with a captive bottom, I'll make a rabbited bottom so that I don't have to clean up dried glue out of the bottom inside corners. Uh, just go light on the glue and reinforce. I feel like this habit is limiting my options and skills. How do you guys manage glue squeeze out in tight spaces and inside corners? If you use a wet rag, how do you sand back the grain on the inside corners? What about if you can't get to it with a wet rag? Okay, so if this is something I'm really uptight about and I'm, I'm nervous that I'm not going to be able to get to it, avoidance is definitely the way to go. Uh, use a lighter amount of glue, possibly tape off the area uh, so that the glue, if it does squeeze out, isn't going to go onto the wood. Uh, there are definitely things you can do to work around it. But most of the time, I am a little too lazy. And I did, you know, six chairs here and I had lots of squeeze out to clean up because I was just moving and gluing up and gluing up. By the time I got all of them, you know, in the clamps and glued up, I'd go back to the first one and then start the glue removal process. So I've gotten pretty good at using a chisel. I like to have a nice sharp chisel, but a chisel can be dangerous because a lot of times you're actually running that chisel across the grain. So it's all too easy to go whoop and go a little bit deeper. And now you've just gouged 
the piece. So there's really uh, nothing better than a good sharp scraper. A card scraper is good. It's a very small implement that you could usually get into tight spaces, uh, and it's a good way to clean that glue off. Uh, generally speaking, and I've said this many times before, I like to go when the glue is uh, really just kind of starting to set up. I don't want it at the point where it's at you know full cured uh, hardness because then it's really difficult to remove. But I like to just uh, scrape it apart. I've got a wet uh, paper towel with me, and I clean off the scraper, take another pass, clean off the scraper. And then, if I really want to be picky, I'll go back with the dampened rag, a clean one, and just kind of wipe that area down a little bit. That will raise the grain, but there are very few places, I mean, depending on what you're building there, Corey, very few places you shouldn't be able to get at least a couple of fingers and a piece of sandpaper, right? So if you need to get into those inside corners, a nice sharp piece of sandpaper put the edge right up against the corner, a couple of passes back and forth, should take care of any residual schmutz that's there. Um, but that's how I handle it. You guys have anything else you want to add to that one? Yeah, I use um, <clears throat> I use high glue a lot <laughs> when I'm in those situations. Now, I mean, it is transparent to glue, but I mean, obviously, if you have big clumps of it there, it's going to show up under the finish. But you know, you can leave a surprising amount of high glue in an inside corner and have it be invisible it to finish. Okay. So if, if it's one of those situations where you really are worried about beginning getting in there, I do the same thing Mark does with a scraper. Um, but I don't have to get, you know, so uh, obsessive about getting it all out of there because the high glue just doesn't show up under the finish. Nice. How about uh, pre-finishing? That's, a, that's one that I use. It's a good strategy. That's a good, good trick for it. Pre-finish. Uh, use less glue. And uh, the last one I had was I use epoxy a lot, which is kind of like high glue where you can't really see it if you're using a clear finish. Don't notice it. Yeah. Yep. Okay, another question. How did you get on the last 15 <laughs> seconds of Shop Talk Live number 142? That was from Ron. <laughs> uh, we hacked them. And we're that good. They we, actually we didn't now. mean to do it. And uh, <laughs> it turns out Shannon actually has a background in uh, black hat hacking. And uh, he just made it happen. So you're welcome. You'll, you'll you'll notice now that every one of those guys, their signature files and email now has a link to Wood Talk on That's it. That's right. So. Yeah. It might say something else, but it'll link to us, which is fantastic. Yeah, you know, uh, sincerely, Mike Pekovich, watch Wood Talk. You know, yeah, it's great. It was a sort of an inside joke. I'm surprised they did it because I think the actual amount of people who understood and followed this whole line of, of joke uh, may be very limited. But I thought it was a fantastic, um, you know ending to our little <laughs> our little faux rivalry. Um, they're good oh. guys there. I mean, we just have fun, and uh, we're just kidding around back and forth. And I think it all happened because at AWFS, there was a mix-up on the webpage where they said Shop Talk Live was doing an interview with, uh, what's his name, John Ratzenberger? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Ham. And uh, they did his interview, but they put our logo on that page. <laughs> and I, uh, I tweeted it out, and I got someone in trouble yeah. by doing that, by the way. Um, yeah, that intern won't be getting a full-time job offer. <laughs> <laughs> but they put our logo, and it was just funny because we've had this long-term, again, faux rivalry with uh, Shop Talk Live, so it was really funny. And then it just kind of went back and forth, and they thought it would be funny to to use our, our music and stuff in, in that episode. So that's the reason for it. It was just a joke. It was a lot of fun. And advertising, we didn't have to pay for, so I'm kind of okay with it. <laughs> we don't pay for advertising, so <laughs> we always appreciate that. But no, they're good guys. A lot of fun. Uh, okay, Nick Carruthers wrote in. He says, with the upcoming summer break, please compare uh, – I realize we have some not woodworking questions here. Please compare <laughs> SPF requirements – for the three of you, I'm guessing the albino gorilla has the highest uh, the highest need, but based on uh, the recent leggy photo on Instagram, Matt is surprisingly pale for a dark-haired guy. 
I'm a ginger with blondie kids, so I consider myself an authority on the subject. So personally, what do, what do we use? Shannon, what's your SPF? I uh, just don't go outside. You <laughs> just avoid the light? <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm generally around the 30 range. Um, I was, I, and I don't know if this is accurate anymore, but when I was a lifeguard, um, I was, I remember being told that like, once you get above 30, there's not really like outside of sunblock, there's not really that much difference in the SPF requirements. I understand that that may have changed recently and people are saying it's 50 now, but yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I go heavy on the SPF now just because I feel like as a lifeguard in my youth, I kind of got my rad limit. <laughs> so yeah, you're full. I'm, I'm, I'm just, like, statistically, I'm just ready for skin cancer if I get out in the sun too much. So. Yeah. Matt, what do you do? You sound like the kind of guy who just doesn't use anything. That's correct. You just have to zero. I Baby oils up and goes out. <laughs> yeah, he's like, if I can get my tan at the same time, why the heck not? I haven't been able to get a sunburn since I was a child, yeah. no matter how hard I try. So I, whatever. You sure? Okay. You look like you had a sunburn on your chest. Oh, that's a red shirt. You, um, oh! you, you Photoshop experts, um, just Google Coppertone Baby, and I will send you the picture of Matt that you need for the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. Um, you know, for me, I, I have a, uh, you know, sort of medium olive complexion. Um, uh, I don't burn very easily and I never really worried about it when I was a kid. Uh, but Nicole did have a little, uh, skin cancer incident last year. And as a result, uh, none of us can leave the house with anything less than pancake batter on our skin. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you know, if uh. I go, if I go out running or something like that, I'm very careful for things you don't really think about, like the back of your ears. And if you're a gentleman who's losing your hair, you should be concerned about that spot in the back that never used to be able to see the sun that can now see the sun. So maybe wear a hat. Uh, but yeah, we are very um, conscientious about this stuff in this house. And uh, I generally, even though I don't necessarily burn very much, I still am just concerned about it. Um, so I will try to cover up as much as I can or use at least SPF 30. Um, I don't like really anything on my skin, like I'll use a moisturizer on my tattoos, but it's completely water-based and doesn't leave any, um, residual, you know, schmutz on there. I can't stand the sensation of oil on my skin. And that's why I will never and can never use oil-based sharpening stones because it just drives me nuts <laughs> having that oily consistency on my skin. So when it comes to sunblock, it's it, like the thicker the stuff is, it just drives me nuts. I can't stand having it on. And it looks really dumb over my tattoos because it puts a white haze over the tattoo and it looks stupid. Uh, so usually an SPF 30, like Luberderm daily uh, stuff, I think is SPF 15. And then I've got an SPF 30 for something else that I use for you know outings and things like that. That's a good question. If, if you apply oil over tattoo, is that like oil over, over wood? You get more depth and luster and... Oh, sure. your toy and see. oh yeah. You yeah. want to, you want to lube it up like, uh, like guys who guys and gals who are like weightlifters before they go and do their little demonstration and flex, they, they oil themselves up. It just gives more definition and, uh, oh, a, man. a better look. We're going to have a fun time with me. <laughs> oh man. You, we're going to oil oh, each boy. other up and start flexing our muscles. I think that would actually be a very good show. <laughs> Uh, another Photoshop opportunity. <laughs> oh, Just boy. make it too easy. Those backs of the ears thing. That one used to always get me skiing. Oh, like really? In Colorado. Like yeah. you, you do the nose. And of course, of course, you got to be careful of, you know, you're out in the slopes and you get your nose burned. So, but you always forget about the backs of the ears. Sure. And sure. In, in, inevitably, you'd like go to class the next day and you're like, oh, my ears are bright red and burned. <laughs> yeah. 
trying to tell your professor that, yeah, I was sick. That's why I didn't go to physics yesterday. No, 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 no. Right. <laughs> I have skiing tan lines, my friend. Yeah. Protect yourself, folks. It's serious business. It's scary stuff, too. You know, uh, no one wants to hear that C word. And uh, regardless of its form. So Cremona. Yes. Cremona. <laughs> Yes. I'm coming for you. That's I'm good. coming. Uh, okay, I'm going to grab one more question here from our Patreon. Darth Rust, I haven't read this, so hopefully it's a good one. Uh, he says, I'm designing a green and green sideboard for my dining room. I don't have experience incorporating glass into doors. What should my design considerations be? Approach it like a frame and panel, common plane thicknesses, or pane, sorry, common pane thicknesses. Uh, drop in with some sort of retainer. Good luck. We're all counting on you. Okay, glass. Any rules of thumb here? I could say that I usually use eighth inch for furniture projects. I don't, unless you're doing like a tabletop or something, I don't find a need to go any thicker than that. I don't want any extra weight, but usually, um, what do you call it? The stuff that resists shattering. Tempered. Tempered. Yes. If you can get it, tempered <laughs> yeah. glass yeah. Uh, is good. Double strength glass is good, but eighth inch is usually adequate for me. It gets really heavy when you go thicker than that. Mm-hmm unwieldy so yeah and i do generally treat it like a panel but it's a panel that you're going to want to allow for removal so at the very least i'm going to rabbit the frame drop the uh glass in there probably put a bead of caulk around the the rabbit to help it because it's very rarely is it perfectly fit you kind of want a little bit of slack there so the wood can move and doesn't break the glass which would be nice uh but so, so to stop the uh, pane of glass from rattling, put a little bead of uh, silicone caulk around the perimeter, and then I'll usually put some sort of uh, retainer clip on there uh, that then gets attached to the frame but holds the uh, the piece in place. And you could buy those two little plastic clips if you want, or uh, it certainly looks better if you can build them yourself and just have a nice little wood strip there that looks pretty cool. Um, anything else to add to that? Or are we done? Ditto. Yep. I agree. Ditto, yo. Okay, so if you want to uh, help us out on Patreon, if you're a $4 or higher patron, and again, that's patreon.com slash woodtalk, you can check out the email extra. And today we're going to talk about tool maintenance, but next week we'll have another question for you just as a little bonus extra show, and uh, that'll be good stuff. So if you want to help us out, you can. You can set up that Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash woodtalk. You could leave us an iTunes review. Just look us up in the iTunes store. Click on ratings and reviews and give us a five-star rating. We love those. They help us out too, which is great. And, um, oh yeah, you could buy a t-shirt at the TWW store. That's TWWstore.com. Get your woodtalk t-shirt there. Pretty soon we're going to have those USB sticks up and ready. I've uh, got them almost ready and we just got to we gotta publish the product and you guys will be able to pick those up if you want a, a whole Wood Talk archive in the palm of your hand. The longer you wait, the more shows will be on there. That is not true at all because I had to, <laughs> I had to stop at some point <laughs> so that they're all the same. That is completely wrong. <laughs> that is false. Uh, so thanks for that, Cremona. You're <laughs> welcome. You so, you so seamlessly blended from t-shirts to USB sticks that I was picturing a t-shirt of a usb stick like a, a wood talk usb stick on, on the, the shirt yeah not an actual yeah. usb stick. it would be cool if you could have a t-shirt that also was a usb stick and you just, just like wire plug coming a, out of it like a, a wire in and built-in speaker could just be bluetooth you know sure why not your t-shirt plays the that, wood talk archive yeah. that'd be awesome that would be okay Shannon, should do that how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here 
Very good. If you've got stuff you want to tell us, you can send us all of your comments, questions, or topic suggestions. And we really appreciate Everybody seems to be jumping on this whole voice memo app thing. Um, very nice. Improves the quality of the show. It also seems to, like, people seem to be not so shy about it. So keep sending those voice memos. You just email them to woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or you can go to our contact form, woodtalkshow.com slash contact, and type it out. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. that's all they need. Okay. That's the, those are the ways to get in touch with us. And keep those Photoshops coming, people. We're just feeding you with ammo here. Please do. We love it. Uh, (laughs) And we will be gone again, remember, but you're going to hear from us again on the weekend show. But after that, we're going to have our three-week break. So uh, thank you for listening, everybody. And thanks to Brusso for sponsoring the show, brusso.com. We will catch you guys next time. Bye-bye. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.